Today we finish a difficult series. You know, difficult because of its controversial nature and because of the many who uh, promote something opposite than what I'm saying. The previous two in this series, we've kind of leaned in intellectually. You know, we've tackled the various scriptures. I mean, anybody who's willing to go so far as to rewrite the Bible, you know, I, I don't think, I think we've got to get it out of our mind and, and maybe lose our, the language a little bit that says this is, this is an agenda. And, and it is. I mean, you know, Romans chapter 132, it talks about that we move as a culture into an agenda. So it's, it, it's not that it's not that, but we paint it in such a, such a negative light that as a result of that, we, we fail to have any kind of empathy at all. We fail to really understand where these folks are, are coming from. And so I think that anyone who has gone so far as to literally rewrite Scripture has to really believe what they're saying. And more than that, you know, the, the fact that they're addressing the Scripture at all, that should give us hope. That we have people who aren't entirely opposed to God. That actually, that something on the inside of them resonates with the truth of God. But it doesn't resonate with necessarily how they believe that they've been created. And as a result of that wrestling, they begin to renegotiate the scriptures. So we have to kind of lose this idea that, that every single person in this camp, that they're just against Christ, that they're against the church, and, you know, and that it's these two groups of people who are you know, in conflict, and this will never be reconciled, and, and they're evil. <laughs> you know, we, we need to lose that and come to grips with the understanding that we're dealing with individuals who are trying to do the best they can with what they feel like they've been given. Okay? And so I felt like as we've obviously approached this from an intellectual standpoint and debugged their exegesis of Scripture, I felt like if I left you there, and I left those at the other end of the hearing of my voice, you know, via the websites, and if I left them there, we wouldn't say anything more than what the church has said for the last couple thousand years. Yep, you're a filthy sinner, that's it. There's nothing we can do about it, I'm sorry, it's, it's an abomination before God. Swallow that pill and suck it up. I can't, in all good conscience, leave it there. There's truth, obviously, in Scripture as it relates to calling homosexuality a sin, a lifestyle of sin, that the practice of homosexuality, whether that's male or female, it, it, that it's a sin, it's clear. Over and over again, we prove that from Scripture. But if I left them there, I feel like what we would do is bring condemnation, not hope. And there's hope. There's healing. We serve a God that is really, really outstanding. And He's really big. And He loves each and every one of us, right where we sit. No matter what sin we've brought to this congregation today, no matter what troubles you, no matter what trips you up in your walk with Christ, no matter how screwed up you are, He loves you right where you sit. And He loves all these guys just the same, right where they sit. And I think to some degree He's honored by the rewriting of Scripture. And that it's indicative of their heart receiving truth. Wait a second, no, I believe in this God. He's the one and true God. He's the God of love. While in the end, of course, they're in error. 
I think we have to begin to tackle the subject from their vantage point. Can we do that today? So with that said, let's put ourselves back in their shoes. We started out this series, and I really asked you to try on their shoes, to get your brain around it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine living your entire life for as far back as you could remember? You've never had a desire for the opposite sex. Never. (laughs) And you get into school age, and you realize that you know, you're kind of a weirdo. You're not normal. I mean, after all, they have a mom and a dad, right? So even in their own house, they're, they're outcasted to some degree. And, and all of their friends at school, well, I mean, they seem to be attracted to the opposite sex, yet here I am dealing with these struggles on the inside. This, they don't understand. They're, they're conflicted. And they age a little bit more, and they realize, wait a second, there are others that are out there. There are others like me. No, I'm not such a freak. There's actually other people that are out there. And those people are saying that, I, that I'm born this way. And that totally resonates with me because I don't remember a time when I ever thought any different. I certainly don't remember a time where I actually made a choice to do this. This is just the way that I've always been. So I totally resonate with this idea. I've been created this way. I've been born this way. It was just how God made me. That this is what's natural for me. As they go a little bit further in life, they have opportunity to hear the gospel. Something on the inside resonates. Something stirs. This, there's truth here. There's truth to this God word that I've heard. And something stirs and they begin to somewhat turn their heart to it only to find out that those people who seem to love God hate me. That it, they consider me to be a filthy sinner, an abomination before God. How could God create me this way? They would say. How could God create me like this? And this affront from Christianity can cause them to go one of two directions. One, they completely rebel. I don't want anything to do with this stuff. Look, I know that this is how I was born. You guys are saying something entirely different. It must not be true then. And if it is true, I don't want anything to do with your God because what kind of God would make me in sin and then punish me for the very sin that He made me in? Option number two. They resonate with the truth in their hearts. They read the Scripture and they say, God made me this way. I don't remember being any different than what I am. So then our interpretation of Scripture must be off. And so they dig in. They say, no, this is a God of love. He loves me. And they get a hold of this idea. And they say, but this, this doesn't seem to resonate. So our interpretation must be all. And they so desire for that to be true. That they overlook the obvious. And I'm here today to present an option. A third option. It's one that's incredibly difficult, I think, to see from the vantage point of what I've just described. It's the vantage point that we opened up this service in, that there's hope. The option of changing scripture or the option of rejecting God are not the only ways. There's a third option. One of the scriptures that we've evaluated in this series is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. So let's take a look at that. 
It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But the best part is the scripture doesn't end right there. It goes on in verse 11. It says this, And such were some of you. (laughs) And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Now that is absolutely glorious. Look, you can't have relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't be in genuine relationship, in genuine pursuit of His face and stay the way that you came into the kingdom. You're going to change. And such were some of you. You know what that means? That means that there were people in the Corinthian church that were homosexuals previously. And that by the blood of Christ, they were made whole, brought into the kingdom, completely restored, justified, just as if they had never sinned, made whole before Him because of what He did for them. That's glorious. So you're not left at a place, no matter what sin you've come in here today with, no matter what besets you, what struggle you've got in your own heart, it doesn't make a difference because at the feet of the cross, we're all equalized and all of that garbage stays there. And you're redeemed by His blood. You're justified just as if you've never sinned. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of stuff listed in that list. It's not just homosexuals. There are other things that are listed there as well. Like thieves. When we were growing up, I mean, times are a little different now. (laughs) Again, a little more serious with technology than what they were back then. But we would go into department stores and try on a couple of layers of clothes and put on the stuff that we walked out with and have a couple of left for the hanger just for in case somebody was watching and walk out with two or three new sets of clothes it's pretty pretty normal for us i remember growing up we had the platte city pool and just down was the dime store chris is like what's a dime store you know we had the dime store ben franklin's dime store man there wasn't a day we didn't go in there that we didn't rob something I don't know why my parents never asked. Hey, where'd you get that shirt? Hey, where did you get that toy? They just didn't ask, I guess. Ask me when the last time was I ever had the thought to steal something. I can't even remember having the thoughts. I remember doing it. I can't even remember having the thoughts. And such were some of you, redeemed by His blood, transformed, renewed fornicators forgive me if i get too crass but we grew up sex outside of marriage was normal expected even i was introduced to this stuff in late late elementary school you know and i'm not going to go into details grew up with a stack of playboys on my head the head headboard of the bed stack of playboys for years, my brother actually, that was his Christmas present to me. <laughs> a subscription every year. Ask me when the last time was I had a sexual thought for anybody but my wife. We've been married 16 years. I don't remember having one. Redeemed by the blood. And such were some of you. 
but for Christ, but for what he did. He can transform us and has. No longer thieves, no longer fornicators, you know, no longer adulterers, no longer homosexual, but healed and whole. Completely whole. No desire for the same sex ever again. Jesus can do it. All things are possible. And I forgot your word, but this is a good time to interject. Katie was asking the Lord for a word. And he gave her a word this morning that was that the impossible becomes I'm possible with God. Isn't that good? It makes impossibilities possible, and you got off the hook. <laughs> he makes impossibilities possible. Like it doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter what your struggle, it doesn't matter what your parents were like, it doesn't matter how horrible it is. At the feet of the cross, we're all the same. At the feet of the cross, we're washed by His blood. If you just pursue Him, if you just press into Him, if you just look to Him and say, I've been bought, I've been redeemed, I'm not my own, and I'm going to press into you for the rest of my life for what you've done by pulling me out of the miry clay. But the problem is so many of us feel like when we get pulled out of the miry clay that the mire is still on our feet, but He says He washes us completely. Sometime back, the Lord spoke to me quite clearly. He said that He not only takes the shackles, He not, he, excuse me, he not, he not only breaks the chains that bind us, that He also literally shatters the shackles that represented the sin that we were locked to. So we're not only free, He literally removes the shackles that were evidence that we had an issue ever at all. How many of you can testify to this in your own lives? And such were some of you, filthy sinners. Worthless in our respect, going after all things idolatrous, nothing, not pursuing him at all. But now look at you. Now look at you. Washed, justified, redeemed, and pressing into God. Oops, I stumbled. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Eyes fixed on him. Looking to be shot out of his cannon towards the, towards the, the, the goal of life. Not turning back. I'm here to tell you that God is big today. And He's bigger than the sin of homosexuality. The problem with the sin of homosexuality is really in the way that it comes on. I'll read a testimony later of an individual, a lady, who reports that even from the age of five years old, had homosexual tendencies, not just tendencies, but desire, bona fide desire. It's the way that it comes on. There's no question that the sin of homosexuality and many of the other ones that we deal with, that these are heart wounds. Deep-rooted issues of the heart manifesting in our lives. Would God make us this way? You know what? God made us all that way. Not as homosexuals per se. There's not a one in here who wasn't born in sin. Under the, under the atomic line, we're born into sin, original sin, every single one of us. And you know what that means? That means that each and every one of us in this room today had desires that were contrary to the desires of God. Every single one of us born in a place, but with a promise of redemption set before us. 
to transform us, to take us from this place where our desires, being contrary to God, can be redeemed, and where I could be healthy, and where I could be whole, where I could fulfill His purpose. After all, I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own. But the problem is how it comes on. Onset at an early age, typically some kind of a wounding, three predominant areas actually in wounding. You know, many, many, many homosexuals have been molested as a kid. Many, many, many. Among many other things occurring. Deep heart wounds, onset in your foundational years, become a part of your fabric. If you can literally picture a wall that's being built, a foundational wall that's being built, each stone being put in place and one stone is cracked, and you continue to build upon that foundation. By the time you get older, by the time you realize that there are others that are around you who have this issue, you've so identified with that cracked wall that you don't remember anything else. You don't have the ability to be anything else. There's so many examples that we could say. Rejection, for example. Oh, they're just shy. They're just really, really shy. That's what their problem is. No, it's, it, while that's possible, I don't want to discount the fact that sometimes children are shy. But so many of us, we believe that we, we, we have a heart wound on the inside, this heart wound of rejection. We grow up as adults and we call ourselves shy. Well, that's just how God made me. I'm just shy. But it's a lie from the enemy. You're not shy. You're brutally rejected. You've got a deep heart wound and you've owned it and it has become your identity, which we call shy. So many things that we do like this. Anger. So many, well, it's just how God made me. Controlling. I think of those who were born who for some reason buy into the lie that they're ugly. We've got, I've got a couple of extreme makeover slides. I think it may be probably out of whack, but you can toss them, toss them up there. You know, people who believe that they're born ugly. Have you seen them? By the way, I don't believe that God makes anybody ugly. But somebody who buys into that lie will literally begin to self-sabotage. They'll begin through, through bad hygiene, through bad you know, practices. They don't know how to dress. They don't do their hair. They don't take a bath. They don't do, and all of a sudden, they, they, they've bought, so bought into the lie that they begin, it prophesies to them. And they begin to act out that lie. And to the outside world, if you want to say, so, be so mean as to say so, they become ugly. Understanding, again, I don't believe anybody's ugly. Some of you need a Holy Spirit makeover this morning. It becomes part of their identity, what they are on the inside. When they look in the mirror, they believe that they're ugly and it manifests in their flesh. These people are, look at beautiful, my goodness. Just gorgeous people who for one reason or another have bought into that lie. Sabotage themselves. And have lived it out in such a way that other people will call them shy. That other people will call them ugly. They'll be made fun of for it. And they'll own it. And it becomes their identity. Same is said with homosexuality. It becomes their identity. But it's not who they are. And there's hope. And there's restoration. Just as there is hope to take, you know, someone <laughs> who needed a little help with makeup and needed to learn a few things. And you can take and make her a supermodel. <laughs> Beautiful. Just amazing. Just a little tweak, a little bit of this here and there. Hey, let me speak it. And you know what the thing is? The biggest thing is self-confidence. It's just self-confidence. Because when you 
buy into the lie that you're ugly and that becomes your identity, your self-esteem is... You could take the same person with no makeup and glasses that are out of style and whatever the case were to be and put some self-confidence in them and they're not going to get the same reaction from people that are out there. When they look in the mirror, they see who God's created them to be. Look at me, I'm lovely. No makeup, eyebrows flying out like chia pets. Yes, Lord. Beautiful. And owning that and believing it and that's what they exude. Beauty from the inside out transformation because of the spirit of God because of his blessed hand of favor upon our lives the other problem with homosexuality or let me say it more broadly than that the problem with sexual sin is it becomes an addiction masturbation it becomes an addiction you can try to justify it in any manner in which you want to justify it but in the end it's a very very difficult practice to stop Anything that grips you like that is wrong. Sexual sin becomes an addictive behavior. It becomes something that you're, that, you're, that you're locked into. So when you think of someone who's trapped in this lifestyle, who's believed lies and who's owned this as an identity, think of it like quitting smoking. <laughs> Ever try, anybody try to quit smoking? I've been doing it for 20 years or something and try to quit smoking? It's all of a sudden, when you've set your mind to that, when you've realized, hey, this isn't healthy for me, and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to stop this practice, boy, no sooner than you do, you walk out your front door and everybody is smoking a cigarette. Everybody is. Like, they weren't before, but they are now. You know, and, and everywhere you go, every restaurant you step out of, you get a whiff of it. You're like, oh... You know, and it calls to you, and you have that conversation in your brain every single time that, every time you get a little whiff of it in the wind, you have that conversation with yourself on the inside. Well, it's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal, is it? After all, it's my body, isn't it? It's my choice, isn't it? The process of sanctification is not an easy one, it's difficult. It's difficult, particularly when we've bought in lies, or in the case of any addictive behavior, when we really don't want to change in the first place. Like sending somebody to the counselor's office, one of your kids. Like, he don't want to be there. Do you know why you're here? Yeah, because I punched that guy, but he deserved it! Like, you know, I mean, he's not repentant at all. You're not going to make much progress, such is the case with many. We look in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 11. Jesus, uh, speaking of a sexual nature, specifically adultery, he says this. Not all men can accept this statement, but only those for whom it has been given. In verse 12. For there are eunuchs who are born that way from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are also eunuchs who were made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Who was able to accept this let him accept it. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Worst case scenario, worst case, we've been called to recognize that there's something way bigger than us. Every single one of us is called to pick up the cross daily and to hang anything that looks ugly on that thing. And every time that you try to speak life to the old man that was buried in the baptismal tank, You're to hang it back on that cross. Dying to your flesh in order to let Him live and reign through you. We are all called to that. Every single one of us. 
Worst case scenario, a homosexual just like you and I is called to stop with the lusts of the flesh, to hang on the cross, and to pursue Jesus Christ. Jesus said that there are eunuchs who have become that way for the sake of the kingdom. What that's saying is that you have people who have moved into sexual abstinence for the sake of the kingdom. In other words, this is what's expected of you. Die, that you may live. But I don't say that to box anybody in. It doesn't matter what you've come in here with. Jesus hasn't called you to a life of misery, to a slog this side of heaven where someday in the sweet by and by I may be rid of all this baggage. He's called you to be rid of the baggage today. He's not called you to press in in some place of discipline to strive to get your life lined up. He's called you to yield to His Spirit so that all of that garbage will fall off of you so that you can be perfectly whole right now. That's what He's called you to. That's the hope that He's laying before you. If you struggle with homosexuality, the first two uh, weeks that we dealt with, you can see it's clear in Scripture. But what is more clear than that is that Jesus died for you and that his dying, the sozo, means body, soul, and spirit. We try to attribute it to some small amount whereby I'll be reconciled eventually in heaven, but it's for you right now, today. It's for your body to be whole, and it's for your soul to be whole, for all of those woundings that we've taken through childhood from our parents and authority figures, and because I just made some really stupid decisions for every single one of those, Jesus has the answer. He wants to pluck that stuff out of our hearts and Backfill it with His love, with His peace. Are you following me? There's hope. You don't have to remain in sin. In fact, He's called you and said if you're a part of the kingdom, you're not supposed to remain in sin. He's given provision for this very thing. And for what it's worth, that's why we have re-three ministries here. For those of you who You're saying, you know what, this sounds great. I totally identify with what you're saying, but I can't seem to get a breakthrough. I don't know why I'm angry. I don't know why when that happens, it causes me to, like I have a compulsive reaction when this scenario presents itself to me. I don't know why, but when my wife says this, every time I get angry, and it's stupid, and intellectually, like logically, I can tell you it's stupid, but I react that way just the same, and I've prayed, and I've asked the Lord to break it off of me, I've asked for healing, and here I am, Pastor, I don't know how to get victory. Well, guess what? We have tools for you. We have tools for you. You know, the Lord has anointed a group of individuals here who have the ability to partner with the Holy Spirit to see you made whole, no matter what the issue. And homosexuality is not the big, unhealable, unpardonable issue. There are so many, so many testimonies of people having an encounter with the living God and being completely set straight. And I want to end today with one such encounter. This was a a letter from a lesbian, uh, former lesbian, off of John Piper's website, Desiring God. It says, Dear so-and-so, I just want you to know that I understand. I understand how it feels to be in love with a woman. At this point, I said, I do too. <laughs> to want nothing more than to be with her forever, feeling as if the universe has played a cruel joke on your heart by allowing it it to fall into the hands of a creature that looks just like you. I too was a lesbian. I had same-sex attraction as early as five years of old. 
As I grew up, those feelings never subsided. They only grew. I would find myself having crushes on my female friends, my female best friends. But I was far too ashamed to admit it, let alone to, let to, to admit it to them, let alone myself. At the age of 17, I finally made the decision to pursue these desires. I entered into a relationship with a young lady who became my first. The first time we kissed, it felt extremely natural, as if, uh, as if this feeling is what I had been missing all along. After her came another woman and then another. Both relationships were very serious, each lasting over a year. I enjoyed these relationships and I loved these women a lot. And it came to the point that I was willing to forsake all, including my soul, to enjoy their love on the earth. In October of 2008, at the age of 19, my superficial reality was shaken up by a deeper love. One from the outside, one that I had heard about before but never experienced. For the first time, I was convicted of my sin in a way that made me consider everything that I had loved, idolized, and its, uh, and its consequences. I, I looked at my life and saw that I had been in love with everything except God, and these decisions would ultimately be the death of me eternally. My eyes were opened, and I began to believe everything that God says in His Word. I began to believe that what He says about sin, death, and hell were completely true. And and amazingly, at the same time that that penalty of sin became true to me, so did the preciousness of the cross. A vision of God's Son crucified, bearing the wrath I deserved, and an empty tomb displaying His power over death. All things I had heard before, but without any interest, had become the most glorious revelation of love imaginable. After realizing all of what I would have to give up, I said to God, I cannot do these things, or I cannot... Let these things or these people go on my own. I love them too much. But I know you are good and strong enough to help me. Now at the age of 23, I can say with all honesty that God has done just that. He has helped me love Him more than anything. Now why did I just tell you all this? I I gave you a glimpse of my story because I want you to understand that I understand. But I also want you to know that I Also understand how it feels to be in love with the creator of the universe. To want nothing more than to be with him forever. To feel his grace. The best news ever announced to mankind. To see his forgiveness. That he would take such a wicked heart into his hands of mercy. But with that in mind, we're in a culture where stories like mine either seem impossible or hilarious, depending on the audience. Homosexuality is everywhere from music to TV, even sports. If you'd believe all that society had to say about homosexuality, you'd come to the conclusion that it's completely normal, even somewhat admirable. But that's far from the truth. God tells us that homosexuality is sinful, is abominable, and is unnatural. But if I were to be honest, sometimes homosexual attractions can seem natural to me. I don't think it's a stretch to say that this may be your dilemma as well. You see what God has to say about homosexuality, but your heart doesn't utter the same sentiments. God's word says it's sinful, your heart says it feels right. God's word says it's abominable, your heart says it's delightful. God's word says it's unnatural, your heart says it's totally normal. Do you see that there's a clear divide between God's word, between what God's word says and how your heart feels? So which voice do you believe? There was a time in my walk with Christ where I experienced a lot of temptation about falling back into lesbianism. 
These temptations caused me to doubt God's word. My temptations, my desires began to become more real to me than the truth of the Bible. As I was praying and meditating on these things, God put these impressions in my heart. Jackie, you have to believe my word is true even if it contradicts how you feel. Wow, that's right. Either I trust in his word or I trust in my own feelings. Either I look to him for the pleasure of my, that my soul craves or I search for the lesser things. Either I walk in obedience to what he says or I reject the truth as if it were a lie. The struggle with homosexuality is a battle of faith. Is God my joy? Is he enough? Or am I still looking to broken cisterns to quench the thirst that, he can, that only he can satisfy? That's the battle. It's for me and it's for you. The choice is yours, my friend. I pray that you and your faith in Christ, I pray you put your faith in Christ and flee from the lies of society that coincide with the voices of your heart, a heart that Scripture says is wicked and deceitful. Run to Jesus instead. You were made for Him. He is ultimately all you need. He is good and wise. He's the source of all comfort. He's kind and patient. He is righteous and faithful. He is holy and just. He is the true King. He is Savior. And He's inviting you to not just be servant, but also to be friend. If lasting love is what you're looking for, for everywhere, uh, looking for everywhere else, you are chasing the wind, seeking what you will never find, slowly being destroyed by your pursuits. But in Jesus, there is fullness of joy. In Jesus, there is relationship worth everything because He is everything. Run to Him. How many of you needed to hear the word this morning that says, even when your, your circumstances seem to be contrary to the word, what are you going to believe? It's back to Adam and Eve all over again. Eve stands with an apple in her hand. <laughs> Satan says, did God really say that? Takes a bite, doesn't die. Adam says, am I going to believe the word of God? From God's very lips that said that I will die? Or am I going to believe my circumstances? My wife just ate of the apple and surely did not die. What will you believe today regarding the sin perhaps that you carry? Will you exalt your temporary pleasures above that of God in pursuit of His face? Or will you with, an, with abandon become a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would deposit on the inside of us holy compassion for not only those trapped in a lifestyle of homosexuality, God, but for all of those who you died for that are trapped in lifestyles of sin, patterns of behavior that they don't feel like they can get out of. Father, as a congregation, we just say, here we are, send us. May I be so bold as to say we're willing to go to them, Father. 
Father, I bless Harvest Fellowship that in that hour they'll not worry about what to say, whether their apologetics is good, whether their Bible reading that morning was good, but in that hour you will fill them so much and overflowing with your Holy Spirit that you will literally speak through them and see salvation released to the hearts of those locked in dungeons. God, I declare over Harvest Fellowship that we will see people pulled up out of the miry clay, that we'll see blind eyes open and we'll see people set free from the chains and their shackles. We declare it over this house, Father, in conjunction with your prophetic word over us, the harvest. And we just say, God, we're ready. Send them, God. Send the homosexuals here. Send the adulterers here. Send the effeminate here. Send all of them here, God. Those who desperately are in need of you, send them here. Father, we're not scared of them. We're not scared of the ministry. We're not scared of the pains and the trials and the problems that come with having these folks here who have these deep hurts. Father, we say we're ready for the challenge and that with you, it's possible. And that healing and life and hope is possible. And if you agree with that this morning, say amen.